Do you want to listen to this episode ad-free? You can do so by joining our Patreon or clicking subscribe in the purple Apple Podcast app. For $2.99 a month, you'll get early access and ad-free listening. On top of that, you'll have access to an exclusive bonus archive of 11 episodes that are only for subscribers. So walk, don't run, subscribe today. Welcome to the Murder Diaries. I'm Natalie. And I'm Paige. Today, we're talking about a disappearance. Well, two disappearances. Two disappearances and an attempted murder. All three cases are connected by a man who hasn't admitted to any of the crimes, but he is a suspect in several. At the center of it all is a young woman who was trying to accomplish her goals and was on her way towards having a really great life. Her disappearance would be the catalyst to putting a horrible man behind bars and to getting justice for everyone but herself. Her name was Tracy Ocasio. This is her story. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. Tracy Eileen Ocasio was born on August 10th, 1981, to parents Liz and Joe. She's been described as being daddy's little girl, and her parents said that Tracy was able to make friends anywhere because she was open and tended to trust people really quickly. Despite this, Tracy remained close to her family, especially her mom, even as an adult. Growing up, Tracy had a lot of different interests. She kept lizards and scorpions as pets and also had a cat named Cookie. She was interested in World War II and ancient Rome and asked for books on those subjects for Christmas. Tracy grew up in Virginia, but her family often traveled to Florida where they would go to the beach. The summer before Tracy's senior year of high school, the family moved to Florida because her father Joe's job transferred him to the Orlando area. So they settled in nearby. According to investigation, discoveries disappeared. The move from Virginia to Florida was hard for Tracy. She was leaving behind all of her friends and starting a new school for her senior year. It's understandable why she struggled with it. I mean, most of us probably would. Additionally, the curriculum was different at her new school and she needed more credits to graduate than she would have in Virginia. This meant that she had to go to school full-time as opposed to part-time, which is what she was planning on doing at her old school. In the end, Tracy dropped out and began working various restaurant and retail jobs. She continued to live with her parents and later went on to earn her GED. At some point while in Florida, Joe started taking Tracy to Orlando Magic basketball games and she quickly fell in love with the team. Joe told Disappeared that Tracy was such a big fan that you'd have to sit two seats over from her because she would be so loud during the games. Tracy loved attending the games in person, but she also loved going to a local bar called the Florida Tap Room. And it was one of her favorite places to hang out. When she went to watch a game, she would float between tables chatting with everyone there. Tracy's mother, Liz, told Disappeared that the tap room had a very friendly atmosphere and that Tracy got to know the other Orlando Magic fans who regularly watched the games at the bar. By the time Tracy was in her mid-20s, she decided that she wanted to make some changes in her life. Her goals were to move out of her parents' house, start a long-lasting career, and maybe even start a family. In order to accomplish these goals, she started taking classes at a local community college and even started making and selling jewelry. On the night of May 26, 2009, Tracy left her parents' home and traveled to the tap room on Raleigh Street. Her plans were to watch the Orlando Magic face off against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Tracy's plans included meeting some friends at the bar, but she told her mom that she was planning on coming back home as opposed to spending the night with a friend. 
the Magic won the game and Tracy stayed at the bar afterwards to celebrate the win. And around 1 a.m. on what was now May 27th, Tracy decided to leave the bar, except she never made it back home. At around 6.30 a.m. that day, Liz went to Tracy's room to check on her, only to find the room empty. Liz was concerned, but she assumed that Tracy had had too much to drink and crashed with a friend instead of driving home. But just in case, she sent her daughter a text asking, where are you? She didn't expect a text back right away because she assumed that Tracy was still asleep. By 8 a.m., Liz still hadn't heard from Tracy, and that's when she began to worry. She called Tracy at 8 and then again two hours later at 10. After not being able to reach Tracy, Liz called a friend that she thought Tracy might have crashed with, but the friend didn't know where Tracy was either. Liz called Tracy's other friends, but nobody had heard from Tracy. Next, Liz called the hospital, jail, morgue, and other local law enforcement agencies trying to find Tracy, but no one had seen her. At this point, Liz was holding on to hope that Tracy was with a friend and that there was a logical answer as to why she hadn't heard from her. Granted, Tracy was 27 years old, and Liz knew that she could go wherever she pleased without telling her parents. However, it was so unlike Tracy not to respond to calls or texts or to even disappear for hours at a time without letting anyone know where she was. That's why Liz knew that something was horribly wrong. At around 7 p.m. on the 27th, Liz received a call on the house's landline. It was the police. They asked if she was Tracy and Liz said no, but told them that she was looking for Tracy. They explained to her that Tracy's yellow Chevy Cobalt car was found abandoned in the front yard of someone's property on Franklin Street, only a few miles from the Ocasio's home. The car was unlocked and Tracy's keys, wallet, and phone were all missing from the car. The police told Liz that somebody had to come move the car and even though she was confused, Liz headed over to take care of it. According to Liz, both the front seats of the car were pushed all the way forward as if someone had been in the back seat and needed to be let out. She added that it would have been impossible to drive with the seats pushed forward. Overall, she found the entire thing super odd. While all of this was happening, Joe was away on business and he didn't know what was going on. At this point, after Liz saw the car, she called her husband and filled him in on the situation. Together, they decided that Liz should report Tracy missing, which she did. The police immediately jumped into action and started searching for Tracy. Because Tracy was last seen at the tap room in Orlando, the Orlando Police Department was put in charge of the investigation into her disappearance. One of the first things detectives did was go to the tap room and speak to the employees. One bartender said that they had seen Tracy the night of the 26th, but didn't see anything weird. They directed the detectives towards surveillance footage of the bar from the night before. The detectives started the tape after the magic game was over and were able to locate Tracy leaving the bar around 1.30 a.m. She wasn't alone. In the footage, Tracy was seen leaving with a man who police identified as 28-year-old James Virgil Hathaway. Tracy and James were described as being acquaintances, but not friends. They had met at a tap room only one week earlier. This information really was a jackpot for police. They were able to find Tracy in it, and they had a lead in James. After identifying James, detectives looked into him. And that's when they discovered that he had an extensive criminal history. As a juvenile, James had been convicted of kidnapping and bodily injury in Hillsbury County. And as an adult, he had been convicted of several crimes, including DUI, reckless driving, and drug possession. As of May 2009, James's most recent arrest had occurred the month before, when he was charged with criminal mischief for punching a van that wasn't his. 
He would later go to the trial for this charge and was found not guilty. And at the time of Tracy's disappearance, James was out on bail. In addition to his previous convictions, James had been questioned by the police in February 2009 after his friend Onda Chris George went missing. Onda, who went by the name Chris, was described as being larger than life and courageous and honest. He was deeply loved by his mother. On February 11, 2009, Chris spent the day with two friends, James Hadaway and a man named Tyler. At 6 p.m., Chris spoke to his girlfriend and then was never seen or heard from again. On February 12th, the next day, James and Tyler were seen by police officers leaving the woods near Lake Carter in Apopka, Florida. When the men were stopped by the officers, they said they were looking for their friend Chris, who they claimed had been high on hallucinogens and had run into the woods. After learning Chris was missing, the police searched the wooded area where James and Tyler had been. They used a helicopter and four-wheelers to search the woods for Chris, but they couldn't find him. They eventually found his car abandoned near Lake Carter off of Okoe Apopka Road. The car looked like it had been driven off the roadway. According to Disappeared, James and Tyler told the police that they were all in Chris's car and Chris was doing drugs. They pulled over by the lake and Chris jumped out of the car and ran into the woods. The other men searched for Chris, but when they couldn't find him, they went back to the car. Worried about the drugs that were in the car, they cleaned it out and then abandoned it near the lake. And it was at that point that the police officers saw them leaving the woods and stopped to talk to them. James's story changed several times, which made police suspicious. And after a few interviews, James and Tyler refused to talk to the police. We'll talk more about Chris in a little bit, but for now, let's go back to Tracy. On May 27th, detectives went to James Hadaway's home to interview him about Tracy's disappearance. James told the detectives that he had met Tracy at the bar and asked her for a ride home, to which she agreed. James added that he and Tracy went back to his house to smoke some marijuana. When they got there, Tracy didn't like the weed that he had, so she left his house. According to James, this was around 2 a.m. After that, James didn't see or hear from Tracy. Something wasn't sitting right with the police after James's interview, and it had to do with Tracy's car. Remember, Tracy's car was found on Franklin Street. The entrance to James's neighborhood was located off of Franklin Street, but his house wasn't on Franklin Street itself. The distance between James's neighborhood and where the car was found was 150 yards. If Tracy was the one to abandon her car, she would have driven from James's house to the nearby Franklin Street and then gotten out of the car and seemingly walked away. Why would she do this? The entire scenario didn't make any sense. Additionally, the information that Tracy had been at James's house in Okoe meant that the case was transferred from the Orlando Police Department to the Okoe Police. Because the Okoe Police had not yet talked to James, they brought him in for questioning. He was interviewed for four hours and told the same story he had told police in Orlando. Two days later on May 29th, James was brought back in to talk to Okoe Police. This time, the interview lasted 12 hours. And he was given a polygraph exam which according to detectives, he failed. The interview ended when James asked for a lawyer. With the information that James was the last person to see Tracy alive, the search for her was refocused around his house. When Joe Ocasio learned about James, he mapped out all the routes from the tap room to James's house. He then put up flyers all along those routes. He also went to other bars that Tracy was known to go to, and he asked if anyone had seen her. Once again, no one had seen Tracy or knew where she was. After James's 12-hour interview, bloodhounds and cadaver dogs searched the area where Tracy's car was found and the area around James's house. The dogs weren't able to find Tracy's scent near her car. 
This led investigators to believe that Tracy hadn't been the one to abandon her car on Franklin Street. In addition to these searches, Tracy's car was searched for DNA. And while some was found in the back seat, when it was tested, investigators weren't able to find a match. James was the police's only major lead, but they didn't have enough evidence to arrest him for Tracy's disappearance. And while they continued to look into him, they also started looking into Tracy's past. Liz told police that a few days after Tracy went missing, Tracy received a letter from the state attorney's office about misdemeanor battery charges that were being filed against a man named Paul. Liz had no idea who Paul was, how he knew Tracy, or what the battery charges were. Police, however, did know Paul. They recognized his name from his many run-ins with law enforcement, and it didn't take them long to figure out Paul's connection to Tracy. According to Tracy's friends, Tracy had a run-in with Paul's girlfriend at the Florida Tap Room, and this later led to a confrontation between Tracy and Paul outside of the bar. Paul pushed Tracy to the ground, and as a result, Tracy called the police. Tracy had decided to press charges against Paul, which was what the letter from the attorney's office was referring to. Police now had a second person to look into in Tracy's disappearance. Paul was questioned by police on May 30th. According to him, he didn't have anything to do with Tracy's disappearance. And he even provided a solid alibi for the time in which Tracy was estimated to have disappeared. After his interview, police decided to look into a possible connection between Paul and James Hathaway. As it turned out, there was a connection between the two men. Paul's family owned a shoreline cleaning business, which James had previously worked at. However, Paul and James hadn't had any recent contact, and Paul was eventually declared no longer a person of interest. But he wasn't ruled out entirely. After looking into Paul, police decided to compare James and Tracy's phone records. They found that the last call from Tracy's phone was made at 4.30 a.m. on May 27th. The call had pinged off of a tower near James's house. The phone pinged off the same tower at 8 a.m. on the 27th. This was when Liz called Tracy to check in on her. Remember, James told both the Orlando and Okoe police that Tracy had left his house at 2 a.m. on the 27th. If this was true, why was her phone still at or near his house six hours later? And if the phone was there, where was Tracy? Understandably, this revelation officially made James a person of interest in Tracy's disappearance. On June 21st, police searched James's house, hoping to find Tracy's belongings or any evidence that was connected to her. Unfortunately, they didn't find anything. What they did find, however, was a marijuana bong. This was enough for police to arrest James for possession of drug paraphernalia. They also seized his computer and later discovered that on May 30th and 31st, James had spent hours searching, quote, how to commit suicide. James's arrest made the news because he was the only person of interest in Tracy's disappearance, which at that point had only happened a few days ago. Only five minutes after the arrest was featured on the news, the police received a call from a woman we're going to call Christy. Christy told the police that on August 7th, 2008, James Hadaway had brutally attacked her in Seminole County. She was 21 at the time. She went to the police after the attack, and while James was a suspect in the case, he wasn't arrested for it. Christy and James had been friends prior to the attack, and on August 7th, they had both gone to a party at a woman's house. While at the party, James was accused of going through purses and trying to steal silverware and steak knives. After this accusation, James was kicked out of the party, and Christy was asked by a mutual friend to drive James home. She agreed. At the time, James was living in Castleberry, Florida in Seminole County. When they got to his apartment complex, James asked Christy to come inside and smoke weed, but she declined. 
She then gave James a hug, but he didn't let her go, instead squeezing her tighter. Christy told him, stop it, it hurts, you're hurting me. But James didn't let go. Christy was able to wiggle free, but before she could escape the car, James grabbed her again and put her in a chokehold. Somehow Christy was able to get out of his grasp again and ran from the car. As she ran down the street, she yelled, please help me, this guy is trying to kill me. Then Christy tripped. This falter in movement allowed James to grab her hair and he started slamming her head against the curb. While he was doing this, he told Christy, don't make me kill you. He then tried to twist Christy's neck in an attempt to break it. At that moment, neighbors who had heard Christy screaming came outside and asked if she needed help. She managed to get out of James's grasp and he ran away. The neighbors took Christy inside and they called 911, but by the time the police arrived, James was already gone. Even without the neighbors seeing the end of the incident, it was clear to the police that Christy had been attacked. She had bruises on her neck and scratches and scrapes on her face, back, hands, arms, and knees. One of the neighbors, a woman named Karen, told police that she recognized the attacker as James Hathaway. Karen's boyfriend, Michael, also saw the attack, but he wasn't able to identify the attacker. But he was able to tell the police that the man, quote, had a woman suspended in the air with both hands around her neck. When Karen brought Christy inside, she told Michael that Jimmy Hathaway had attacked her. Police tried to search for James, but couldn't find him. According to the chief assistant state attorney, the state attorney's office didn't charge James for the attack because Christy failed to respond when his office asked for help. This new information about Christy's attack solidified James as a suspect in Tracy's disappearance. One of the detectives said, the incidents were too similar. Both young girls, attractive girls, gave this guy a ride home. And one got away and one didn't. Joe Ocasio told Disappeared that after he found out what happened to Christy, he started to think James attacked Tracy, but that Tracy couldn't escape and she was killed. After Christy told Ocoee police about her attack, Seminole County reopened her case and James was extradited to Seminole County where he was charged with attempted murder, aggravated battery, robbery, and burglary with battery. The drug paraphernalia charges in Ocoee County were dropped, but it didn't matter. If James was convicted of Christie's attack, he would be facing a life sentence. Liz Ocasio attended every single hearing in Christie's case. Christie's story led another woman to come forward, a woman we'll call Hannah. Hannah told the Orlando Sentinel that she was acquainted with James from the bar scene in Seminole County. In or around June 2008, James asked Hannah for a ride home and she agreed. Once inside Hannah's car, James pulled his pants down and tried to force Hannah to give him oral sex. She refused and went back inside the bar, but didn't call the police. Also around this time, it became public knowledge that James was linked to the disappearance of Chris George. After Tracy's disappearance, James was interviewed again in Chris's case, but it is unclear what information he gave police. On June 3rd, a massive search ensued for Tracy. Investigators used canine units, four-wheelers, and dive teams to search, but no sign of Tracy was found. The next day, June 10th, a team of searchers on horseback looked into a wooded area where James was known to dump yard debris. This wooded area was a 280-acre property near Ingram and Clarcona Ocoee Roads. Once again, nothing of note was found. On June 13th, around 50 people searched nearly 300 acres of Vignetti Park in Ocoee. Ground searches continued through June 20th, and a total of 2,500 acres were searched but Tracy or anything connected to her wasn't found. 
In late June, Tracy's parents told the Orlando Sentinel that they were frustrated with the lack of answers and that they were scared for the future. Joe told the paper, we hold hope for a miracle, but all the circumstances tell us that something's happened to her. I hope and pray to God that that's not the case. Also in late June, detectives received a call from someone who saw something suspicious when they were driving to work in the early morning hours of May 27th. The person said they saw a bright yellow car parked on the shoulder of the road, facing the opposite of traffic with its headlights on. This area is rural and adjacent to Lake Apopka. On August 5th, a ground search was conducted in the same area surrounding Lake Apopka. Liz told the Orlando Sentinel, hopefully they will find her today. I'm so ready for that. You're never ready to find your daughter deceased, but I'm really ready for this chapter to be over. They didn't find Tracy. August 10th was Tracy's 28th birthday. Her family announced that they were putting $5,000 towards the already existing $5,000 reward for information, bringing the total reward money to $10,000. A few days later, a local periodontist agreed to put up an additional $10,000 for a total reward of $20,000. On August 22nd, the Orange County Sheriff's Department was doing routine horseback training exercises when they found a woman's black boot near State Road 50 in Blueford Avenue. This was an area that James was known to have frequented, and it had already been searched. A cadaver dog searched the area where the boot was found, but found no hits of Tracy's scent. On August 29th and 30th, a specialized search group was brought in to search multiple areas, including the area where the boot was found, but they didn't find anything. However, the boot was Tracy's size, and her family asked to look at the boot. They were confident that it was hers. One of Tracy's friends said that the boot looked just like one of Tracy's favorite pairs of boots that she kept in her car, and she was 99% sure that the boot was Tracy's. The friend's confidence came in part because the boot was made out of a specific material that made the boot very distinct. Thus, the boot was sent off for testing. By September 1st, the DNA results from the boot were back. Unfortunately, there wasn't enough DNA on the boot to identify who it belonged to or who had worn it last. In late September, Liz told the Orlando Sentinel that the Ocasio family was starting the process of moving forward and trying to come to terms with the fact that Tracy might not come home. Liz gave Tracy's rings to her closest friends and cleaned out the bathroom shelves. She left Tracy's bedroom untouched. When speaking about Tracy never coming home, Liz said while pointing first to her head and then at her heart, I've accepted it up here, but not here. While the search for Tracy continued in Ocoee, in Seminole County, the authorities were preparing their case against James for Christie's attempted murder. During this time, detectives were able to gather several pieces of evidence that helped solidify the case against James. Detectives were able to track down an ex-girlfriend of James, who said that he had called her the night he attacked Christie. James told the woman that he had been in a fight and needed a ride, which she agreed to, picking him up around half a mile from where the attack on Christie had occurred. Because the attack had happened outside of his house, the woman drove James to her house. And it wasn't until a month later that James told the woman what really happened the night of the attack. Another piece of incriminating evidence was that a ring that belonged to James was found in Christie's car. This would help prosecutors prove that James was the man who attacked Christie because the ring was made of steel and had a very distinctive pattern. Meanwhile in Okoe, the investigation into Tracy's disappearance continued. In early May 2010, a group searched for Tracy in areas that hadn't been thoroughly scoured in previous searches. Once again, these searches resulted in disappointment. At the end of May, Tracy's parents spoke to the Orlando Sentinel to mark the one-year anniversary of Tracy's disappearance. Joe told the paper that they were clinging to hope that Tracy would be found 
saying, that's all we have left. During the past year, there have been ups and downs, but the downs are more like a crash. The Ocasio's desperately wanted Tracy to be found, but their greatest fear was that she would be found dead. Joe said, I dread that day. It's a double-edged sword, like someone slicing your heart. On May 26th, almost exactly one year after Tracy disappeared, Okoweed detectives announced that James was their only suspect in Tracy's disappearance. And they believed that he was possibly her murderer. This was a big deal because before this point, James had only been a person of interest, not an official suspect. Sergeant Mike Bryant said, we believe Hathaway did it. He's suspected of killing her. At this point, however, there were still no charges against James in Tracy's disappearance. Ground searches for Tracy continued from June to August. Several searches focused on the Lake Bennett area because, according to Liz, cadaver dogs had expressed interest in the lake. This particular area is interesting because the south shore of Lake Bennett is right next to State Road 50 where, if you remember, the black boot that the Ocasio's insistent belonged to Tracy was found. Dive teams were brought in to search the lake with sonar technology, but despite searching for multiple days, no sign of Tracy was found. Back in Seminole County in mid-September, James's defense attorney in Christie's case asked for the judge to order the prosecution to turn over all evidence collected by Okoee police during their investigation into Tracy's disappearance. This was strange. James wasn't on trial for Tracy's murder or anything related to it. He wasn't even facing charges in the county that Okoee is in. Other than James's involvement in both cases, Christy and Tracy weren't connected in any way. So why did James want those files? As you can probably guess, the judge denied James' request and nothing was given to him or his lawyer. In fact, a few days after the ruling, the judge declared that no one was allowed to bring up Tracy, Chris George, or their disappearances during the trial for Christy's attempted murder. This ruling didn't seem like a surprise to the prosecution and they didn't fight it at all. By 2011, James was facing attempted murder charges, was a suspect in a disappearance and possible murder, and was connected to another missing persons case. Then in February 2011, James and Tyler, the other man involved in Chris George's case, were publicly named persons of interest in Chris's disappearance. This announcement was made around the two-year anniversary of Chris's disappearance. That same month, investigators searched Lake Carter for the human remains of Chris George and possibly Tracy Ocasio. This area had been searched more than 10 times already, but due to its swampy nature, search conditions weren't always optimal for the cadaver dogs, and multiple searches were necessary. Liz Ocasio and Chris's mom, Rachel, were both present during the search of the lake. And by this point, the two women had formed a friendship and support system. Both women were hopeful that this search would finally give them the answers about where their children were. For Rachel, her hope came true, but in a horrible way. During the search, several human bones were found. As a result, the lake was drained and a human skull and several other bones were found, all of which were sent off for testing. Chris's wallet, cell phone, and jewelry were also found in the lake. At this point, investigators suspected the bones found in the lake also belonged to Chris, and testing confirmed that the bones were indeed the remains of Chris George. Chris's cause of death couldn't be determined but the medical examiner said that he surmised Chris ran into the woods near the lake while under the influence of drugs and drowned. Despite this, the investigation into Chris's death remained open. A few months after this monumental discovery was made, James Hathaway went to trial for the attempted murder of Christie. 
Jury selection began on March 28, 2011. Tracy's parents and Chris's mom, Rachel, attended the trial because they wanted James to know that they weren't going away and weren't going to forget about him. Joe Ocasio said that James wouldn't make eye contact with them. During the trial, the prosecution painted James out to be a bad guy with a history of attacking women. They alleged that if the neighbors hadn't intervened, James would have killed Christy. A former cellmate of James testified that James admitted to attacking Christy. The cellmate said he had the girl and was choking her and someone else showed up. He said he was glad they showed up when they did because he would have killed her. The cellmate also said James often talked about how he loved to choke women. According to the cellmate, James said that a broken neck, which is how he tried to kill Christy, was like a broken stick in a sock. The prosecution's star witness was Christy herself. She recounted for the jury what happened during the attack, saying that she was scared for her life. She said, James wouldn't let go of me. I felt like he was trying to break my neck. The defense's strategy in the trial was to admit that James had in fact attacked Christy, but that he wasn't in control of his actions because he was drunk. They also argued that James had no intention of actually killing Christy. The defense conceded that James needed to be punished for his actions, but instead of being found guilty of attempted murder, James should be found guilty of a misdemeanor battery. And in a rare move, James testified in his own defense. He denied intentionally hurting Christy, saying, I cared about her. I wasn't trying to kill her. He added that he didn't remember much of the attack due to how drunk he was. He said that he could remember hugging Christy and Christy screaming, stop, you're hurting me. But after that, according to James, Christy jumped out of the car and ran down the street. James followed her and when he caught up with her, she was lying on the ground. Christy then started freaking out and screaming that someone was trying to kill her. James told the jury, I wanted to let her know that I was not trying to kill her. I wanted to let her know everything was okay. He said that when the neighbors intervened and said they were going to call the police, he got scared and ran away. He testified, I wasn't trying to choke her and I never bashed her head in. On April 1st, 2011, after deliberating for less than two and a half hours, the jury found James guilty of first-degree attempted murder, burglary, robbery, and false imprisonment. Tracy's parents and Rachel were happy with the verdict. Joe said, if there's any comfort, it's that he's behind bars and won't destroy another family like he's destroyed ours. On May 9th, a sentencing hearing was held for James's convictions. The prosecution asked for a life sentence, which is the maximum sentence available. Meanwhile, the defense asked for 12 to 15 years in prison, followed by five to 10 years of probation. They argued that the attack didn't warrant a life sentence, and they accused the prosecution of trying to get a life sentence because of Tracy's disappearance and not just the convictions related to Christie's attack. In the end, the defense's argument didn't matter. James was sentenced to life in prison. The judge in the hearing made it clear that she was giving the life sentence only for the attack on Christie. She stated that her decision had nothing to do with the disappearance of Tracy Ocasio. As can be expected, Liz, Joe, and Rachel were thrilled by the life sentence because it meant that James wouldn't be able to hurt anyone again. Liz said, it's not just justice for Tracy, but he can't do it to anyone else. Rachel said that she isn't totally convinced that James was responsible for Chris's death, but she thought that he played a role in it. Following James' conviction, the search for Tracy continued. Tracy's parents kept speaking to the media in hopes of keeping Tracy's case in the public eye, and they continue to do so to this day. At the five-year anniversary in 2014, Joe and Liz said that they had accepted Tracy is most likely not alive. However, they still want to find her remains so that they can give her a proper burial. Joe said, we can't think that we'll never find her. Otherwise, there's too much despair. 
We put those thoughts aside and keep going with the hope we'll someday bring her home. May 2022 marked the 13th anniversary of Tracy's disappearance. Tracy's parents said, This week, 13 years ago, we lost our precious daughter. During that horrible time of our lives, one thing that stood out to us was the kindness and support of our community, the Okawi Police Department, and many others from around the state. From volunteering to search, donating water and food for the searches, offering comfort, and more. We'll never forget, and it gives us hope. In June 2022, the Okawi Police Chief said, It is our hope to one day bring closure to this case and her family by finding Tracy or learning what happened to her. By bringing continued attention to her case, someone might come forth with a critical piece of information to solve her disappearance. No matter how inconsequential a piece of information might seem, it could be the key. The current investigation plan is to resubmit evidence from Tracy's case to see if new technology can pick up anything new. As of this recording, Tracy's case remains unsolved. Foul play is suspected and James Hadaway remains the suspect in Tracy's disappearance. But he has never been charged in connection with the case. Tracy's parents seem to believe that James is responsible for Tracy's disappearance. They are still desperate to find her and bring her home. They, along with investigators, believe that someone out there knows where Tracy is. Authorities have said that fear of James shouldn't stop someone from coming forward with information in Tracy's case. Because James is behind bars and will remain that way. James is currently incarcerated in Tomoka Correctional Institute in Daytona Beach, Florida. As a recap, Tracy Ocasio was last seen on May 27, 2009 in Okawi, Florida. The last person to see her alive was James Jimmy Hadaway. At the time of her disappearance, Tracy was 27 years old, 5'5", and 120 pounds. She has brown hair and blue eyes. Now here's our call to action. If you have any information about the disappearance of Tracy Ocasio, please call 1-800-423-TIPS. Again, that's 1-800-423-TIPS. Make sure you follow us on all our social media at The Murder Diaries Pod. And until then, stay safe. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.